Good morning, everyone. This is Jeffy Kennedy. I'm here with my first cup of coffee. Heading out to the secret garden here. And Jackson thinks he's going with me, but he's not. No, you stay there. He uh, pulled a fast one on me yesterday evening. I had refilled the hummingbird feeders and was taking them out the front door. And I saw him watching me, gauging, and uh, he still managed to get past me. I would have had to close the door hard on his head to, or tail to stop him, and I wasn't ruthless enough. So he ran out, and then it turned out there was a little snake right there on the porch that he ran right past, too. So I had to yell for David that the cat escaped, and there was a snake on the porch. Looked like a um, juvenile bull snake. It was all coiled up, and I think Jackson really startled him, dashing past like that. And then he went underneath one of the flower planters. So, but David's idea was bull snake. I am cleaning up Choya burrs. Not too many, though. Scattered here and there. I think my um, depriving her of ammunition gambit is working out. Ow. So easy to get them. All you have to do is really brush the tip of one to get it stuck in your skin. The Choya burrs are really an amazing evolutionary step. They cling to every damn thing. Okay. She's, that's one thing about them being thinner is she's got little individual ones scattered hither and yon. She's running out of her, her bunches of them. Ha ha ha. Do you imagine her over there in her den watching me and gnashing her little teeth in impotent rage? Yes, I shall win, pack rat, I shall win. Apologies to those of you who don't find the pack rat voice <laughs> interesting. <laughs> so, all right. Now we can sit down and enjoy. It's lovely in the arbor this morning. Is it ever not lovely in the Great Barber? I don't think so. It's funny, um, when Megan Mulry was over last week and we had margaritas in the Great Barber, she uh, said something about the bunches of grapes hanging down and asking me if, as everyone does, if we eat them. Or, and I said, no. I said, you know, people are always saying, oh, I should you know, make jam or I should make wine or, you know, we should eat them. And she said, yes, but then you wouldn't be able to see the lovely bunches of grapes hanging down and pretend that you were in Italy. And I was like, <laughs> that is so right. That Megan really gets me. She is totally my tribe. I love seeing the bunches of grapes hanging down. I'm perfectly fine with letting the birds have them. Our house sitters had noted how much of our house and garden is set up to encourage the birds um, and other wildlife too, but it's mainly the birds that come around. And it's true. I just love seeing the, the birds come in and having food and water for them. Makes me happy. 
So let's see. Where are we at with things? I'm, sif I'm sifting through what I can and cannot say. Fortunately, I haven't gotten in trouble for any of the things I blabbed in my lawless way. We did have a bit of a debate yesterday with a couple of different people over what constitutes a pretty boy in reference to yesterday's podcast. Kareen uh, says that Kit Harrington is a pretty boy, which, I mean, obviously she's just wrong. She just doesn't know from pretty boy. Um, I was thinking of, um, oh, now I'm not going to be able to think of his name. Um, one of Sarah's suggestions. Oh, let's look on IMDb. Make sure we're still recording here. Um, it's like Holt, the guy who was in the Tolkien movie. Holt. I should look up just Tolkien. It would be a more surefire. Nicholas Holt, I was right. H-O-U-L-T. Um, that was one of Sarah's suggestions. But, you know, you look at the pictures of him, and he has he has that very full, almost feminine mouth. Um, I know it's not fair to say feminine, but, you know, very full and curved, and his he has sort of that um, dewy complexion. And to me, that is the pretty boy look. Um, Kit Harrington is not a pretty boy to me at all. He's got a, a rougher look to me, and I like that he um, he does a good job of being tormented. I thought he, I mean, it got a little old with Jon Snow being so tormented all the time, but I think that uh, it's a good choice. It's better than any of the others. I think really if we were to cast Orchid Throne, we would want an unknown as Khan. I don't know. Would they go for that? It's all dreams. We don't know. It would be so cool to see it done as like a, I don't know. I don't know if I'd want movie or series. I think there's, um, you know, with series, you can tell a longer story. And, and I think that would be fun to do. Anyway, so I don't know what you all think about the, the pretty boy thing. but And I think it depends on culture. I think Corrine has um, a different perspective culturally than I do. And some of it has to do with age, like I was talking about yesterday. You know, like what an older woman finds attractive in a man is different. And, of course, heterosexual thing makes it different. We um, watched Rocket Man last night, the Elton John movie. And that was uh, that was really good. We both enjoyed it. In fact, David stayed awake pretty much through the whole thing. So you know, there that's saying something. Uh, yeah, I thought I really loved how they um, broke up the biopic structure. And I think I've talked about that before, like with Bohemian Rhapsody. I thought there were advantages to, to the way they told it. And I know I've kind of come down on other movies where they kind of failed to do that. I always think of um, one of the very first writing classes I took that was Essays on Self and Place about writing creative nonfiction. And my teacher would always say, break the, break the gridlock of chronology. And I think that's really important for any kind of biography or autobiography or memoir that 
telling a story in chronological order, especially if it's somebody's life story, is the logical structure, but it's also a confining structure. So while Rocket Man is told in chronological order, they broke up the gridlock of chronology in fanciful ways that worked really well. Like there's this great scene where they show um, Elton John playing in the pub as a kid and he starts playing a song. And they really did a wonderful job of incorporating all the music into the movie um, in the same way that Bohemian Rhapsody did. And how and that other biopics of musicians fail to do. It's like, no, 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 we want to hear all of our favorite songs, even pieces of them. Uh, so he's singing a song and he goes out and he's like in a carnival and it becomes part of a big uh, crowd dancing scene like from a musical and there's all sorts of metaphorical things going on in the dance scene as, as great musical numbers do. And then he goes back through this hole in the fence and goes back into the pub and he's during the carnival scene he has become older and now he is a young man and he's playing in the pub that same pub with his band and so it was a it was a wonderful montage scene uh showing very quickly within a few minutes and the space of a song we loved with lots of razzle dazzle how he has grown up and we don't need to see every beat of those ensuing year of those intervening years because we know how he grew up that, you know, he's kind of been doing this all along and now, okay, he's with a band and he's playing. Um, I think that's, it's a great thing for writers to learn from because maybe it's partly playing on tropes, the story elements with which readers or audiences are very familiar. It's like, you don't really need to tell us that, you know, he spent his teenage years playing in this pub or other pubs, similar pubs. You you just need a few hints and then you're good with it and you can go forward. So I thought it was, um, yeah, a, a really well done story. I thought that uh, by the end, they, they also used a frame, which broke the gridlock of chronology, which I thought was interesting. That's one thing that a frame can do both, um, in a story or in a movie is the frame starts out with him arriving at the support group and saying that he's an alcoholic. And then at, as the movie progresses, it cuts to that frame with him talking to the support group and he gradually loses his fabulous costume and by the end is only himself. So that was a lovely metaphor too. It's sort of like we've stripped away the glam and the layers and he's just the man at the end. Uh, and I forgot where I was going with that. Must be time for a sip of coffee. Hmm. Oh, well, at the end he says, he talks about how, like, in 1975, he basically turned into a terrible person and, you know, with the, the pills and the alcohol and so forth. And what I thought was kind of funny at that moment was that I thought throughout the movie that they made him, that he wasn't all that terrible, <laughs> that he wasn't quite as bad as his assessment at the end or as people's reactions to him. 
So that made me think that, um, yeah, that maybe he, uh, well, you know, Elton John consulted on the movie extensively, and I don't, I don't know how much he wrote it. I'd have to look that up, but I, I know he uh, gave advice to the guy who played him, which was good advice. He said, don't try to imitate me, just make it be your interpretation, and I thought that worked really well. Um, but I don't know. I wonder if Elton John backed off on himself a little bit. You know, which, who who among us would not do that given the opportunity? <laughs> but I didn't think he was all that terrible. But it was it was wonderful. It's always very interesting to see a movie with, um, you know, about somebody's creative life. And David was commenting that, you know, even people who are dealing with, you know, who have the celebrity and the fame, that it still comes back to these very basic human problems. And I think that's, that is one of the great lessons, you know, that, you know, we always come back to, you know, like, did my mother love me? And, you know, am I loved? Do I have people around me? Um, you know, that the fame and success and the money don't make you more secure, that, that that self-esteem and confidence comes from somewhere else, and you can't run away from that. A lesson for all of us. Here endeth the sermon. Um, so yesterday, I got the final revisions, um, basically copy edits from Agent Sarah and her lovely interns on uh, the new shiny. So that's going to go out. Sarah and I talk strategy. To me, this is a really fun thing to do. She was going through her list of people that we would potentially send it to and, you know, and giving me the whole, she's saying, okay, so at this dream house that you would love to work with, we have this dream editor or that dream editor. What do you think? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like um, it's like being in the proverbial candy store, right? Uh, and and it's fun to to have this relationship with Sarah because we've worked together for several years now and know each other well, and she knows that I've met a lot of people. So she'll ask me. Partly, she's asking me my preference, but also, you know, like who I might have a better relationship with, uh, what my history with the person is. And so it's really fun to be able to do that, to, to work together on that kind of conversation. I am looking at this clematis and wondering, is it not doing well? Let's see here. Oh, no, it's fine. It's fine. It's just the clematis vine has wound up through the grapevine so extensively, their leaves are remarkably similar. I would not have said that they were the same leaf. And they're not the same leaf, but they are awfully close. Maybe I should take a picture for you guys of my grapes. That might be a good thing to have. Have to get the cord out of the way. There's my grapes hanging in the morning light. And you 
And in that photo, for those of you, I don't know how often you guys go and look at the photo too. Um, those are both the grapevine and the clematis. Or clematis, as my grandmother would say. I don't know if that's correct or not. So anyway, I am um, excited about going out on submission. I also uh, worked a little bit more on the synopses for, synopses is a strong word, um, the paragraph, the pitch paragraph for books two and three of this series, which is so spitballing. Um, and Sarah is a harsh taskmaster. She's like, just do it, Jeffy. Just write anything down. And I'm like, but I don't know if it'll be. And she's like, it doesn't matter. Do your best. Just give me something. <laughs> but, you know, so I just feel like I am so spitballing on that kind of thing. It's like I have this vague idea, and I, I don't know why I resist putting that into words. Um, it just feels very difficult to me. Who knows? Who knows what my problem is there? But anyway, I did it. We'll see what she thinks. And so, um, and we just talked about uh, plans for going on submission and what we hope for. And I confess my hopes are high. And I'm trying not to keep them. I'm trying to keep them reasonable because, you know, you never know. Uh, this is... Uh, mercurial business so just trying to keep my i don't know my hope within reason <laughs> but this is a fit my favorite time of year um and it's a hopeful season for me i've always loved uh, when the light starts to change like this when the energy starts to change um, people talk about the energy of spring. I love the energy of autumn. It's like where everything is sort of, you know, the birds and the animals are eating more and the plants are fruiting and everybody is sort of taking as much in as they can and filling up the reserves, maybe filling up the wells. So everything feels like it's really full right now. Maybe that's part of why I like it. I love that fullness and vibrancy of the energy um, getting ready to withstand the winter. It always feels like a time of optimism and hope, yes, and possibility in the autumn like this, where we're ready to make something happen. It feels very creative to me. Creative to me in the way that spring does not. It's almost like um, spring is the manifestation of all of the energy that gets packed away in the fall. So it's sort of like you fill up all the wells, pack in all the energy, let it simmer under the blanket of snow in the winter, and then in spring it bounds out, but that's um, not the most interesting part to me. And you get to enjoy the flowering of it in the summertime. But I suppose that speaks to the fact that I, I like drafting best. I like the process of, of, um, yeah, of filling up that manuscript best and you're like the the flowering the release day isn't nearly as fun to me as the the creative part so i suppose that's consistent and interesting insight so now i'm back to doing a read through of fiery crown i'm making good progress on that i should be done with that in another day or two 
So that feels good. And then I will move back to um, writing the fate of the Tala at last, right? So I'm going to go get back to work. I hope you all have a wonderful Tuesday and that you um, are doing all the things that you want to do and that you get a chance to enjoy a little bit of the autumn sunshine. If you're in the northern hemisphere, I suppose it's spring, spring sunshine if you're in the southern part. Either way, it's, it's pretty awesome, isn't it? A wonderful world we live in. I'll talk to you all later. Take care. Bye-bye.